We're in Matthew chapter 23 uh, today, and so if you have your Bible with you, you can turn there, you can pull it up on your phone app, you can uh, grab a Bible from the carts over here at the either door. Um, we've been walking through the book of Matthew, and it's really important to get the context of where we're at in the life of Jesus right now. Um, this, is a, this is the time when Jesus, he had already had the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, they celebrated him coming into the city, and so we're a couple days into the final week of his life. On Thursday night, he gets arrested. On Friday, he's crucified. And so uh, the time is, is running out uh, for Jesus to share and to speak what he needs to say. And what we've seen over the past several weeks is that he keeps speaking to the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and calling them to repentance. And telling stories even to say, like, how... How many times is too many times to ask? And he told this parable about these wicked servants that ran a vineyard, and he sent, he sent people to them, and they kept killing the people that he sent, killed people, and finally, finally he sent his own son, and they killed the son. And he asked them, he said, hey, what, what should I do to people like this? And they're like, well, they should be killed, right? I mean, they, they, they cast their own judgment on themselves. And so Jesus is essentially begging them, change, change your heart, change your ways. While there's still time. And that's where we find ourselves in this passage today. The, the moment where Jesus finally says, hey, the most loving thing I can do to you is, is, is call judgment onto you. To, to, to proclaim the judgment that you have brought upon yourself in the hopes that it will finally awaken you to the reality of what you're embracing. To the cost of your rebellion. And so as we look at this, it's important to realize that um, the Pharisees never embraced the role of bad guy. Right? If you're watching like a summer blockbuster popcorn movie, right, there's, there's always like the villain. I mean, he's got an evil lair. He's got, you know, laser sharks swirling the town, right? Like, he knows he's a bad guy <laughs> and, and he owns it. Or she, right? Equal opportunity, right? She or he knows that they are, uh, they are an evil villain. The Pharisees never got to that point. The Pharisees believed that what they were doing was right. They, they believed that they were actually serving God. And so the, the pertinent thing for us to look at this morning is how do you get to a place where you, um, you do what is wrong? You function in opposition to God, but somehow you've justified it in your heart and you believe that you're right. Because if we're honest, that's the danger that, that we can fall into if we're not careful, right? If we, if we aren't on guard with our hearts, we can start to think like that everything we do is perfect, that we could never drift away from God's will for our lives, that we could never turn to disobedience, and, and, and that's pride of heart, right? Now, once we're saved, once we're held in, in Jesus' hands, Scripture tells us that there is nothing that can separate us from his love. We're not saved by our works, so our works don't separate us from it, right? But, but we, can, we can drift, and, and let's be frank. There are many who would say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I'm a religious person, but they don't know God. And so this passage is meant to be a wake-up call for all of us to say, hey, is there any aspect of my heart? Is there any sort of way of thinking? Is there anything that I've embraced um, that, that reflects the heart of the Pharisees? And if so, this is the opportunity to repent, to ask God for forgiveness, to ask him to change your heart and to draw near to him again. So uh, Matthew 23, we begin in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. 
They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. He begins not by talking to the scribes and Pharisees, but by talking to his disciples, talking to the crowd that's gathering. He says, hey, the scribes and the Pharisees honor their position. They sit in the seat of Moses, which means that Moses was the, 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 the giver of the law, right? The, in, in Exodus, God gave the law through Moses. He was the one. And so the scribes, the Pharisees, the high priests, they sat in his seat of authority. It's kind of like in a university where somebody's the chair of the English department or the chair of the mathematics department or whatever, right? That, that means that they sit in the seat of authority for that position. And so he says uh, it's this biblical concept of positional uh, authority. Uh, and it's, um, it's something that we see all throughout Scripture. It's something I try and encourage in my home, right? Uh, I tell my kids, the Bible says, honor your father and mother. And it doesn't mean that we're perfect. In fact, we make mistakes. And when we make mistakes, we try and admit them to our kids to show, like, hey, we recognize we are not perfect. But if they become disrespectful, I say, hey, listen, whether we're perfect or not, God has placed us in authority over you, and you need to respect our position. And we'll work on doing a better job, right? But, but, but it's your job to respect the positional authority uh, that we have. It's good to honor and respect uh, pastors, teachers, they've been elders. They've been put in a position of authority in the church. But the, um, the issue is that um, they weren't practicing what they were preaching. They weren't worthy examples of positional authority. Um, and so I know for, for some of you, there may be people here that say, yeah, I grew up kind of in church or around religion or whatever, but, you know, I walked away from it. I abandoned it. And when I've had a chance to talk to people in that situation, here's what I've never heard, right? Uh, yeah, I was reading through the Sermon on the Mount. I was looking at all the stuff that Jesus was saying. I was really evaluating his teachings and what he was saying, and I just found them wanting. I just found that it wasn't, I didn't find that it was good. I didn't find that it was worth giving my life to. Nobody ever says that. What do people say? Hey, I grew up, man, there was this one person in the church. They were a hypocrite. They were a gossip. They were a slanderer. There was a pastor who abused his authority. I mean, we live in a day and an age where it's every, every night on the news, right? We see these things. And so people say, why would I go to church, right? And what I want to encourage you is that Jesus is saying, hey, receive what they're saying but don't let their brokenness push you away. He says, he doesn't say, hey, forget the whole religion thing. Walk away. <laughs> he says, do what they tell you. Observe what they're teaching you from the Bible. That's good for you. That's how you should live. But don't do what they're doing. So you have to be able to disconnect the, uh, the, the, the character of the leader sometimes from, from the message. We, and you guys get like a ton of deliveries at your door. Like yesterday, I, I swear, we had four different Amazon deliveries at our house at different days and times, right? And so sometimes they come in a UPS truck and the guy's got a uniform. Sometimes it's FedEx and FedEx always wants you to sign, which is annoying to me. Uh, but uh, sometimes it'll be just some guy like pulling up in like a 1980s era car that's like barely making it. He jumps out, he's got sweatpants on. He comes up, throws the box down, takes a picture. And you're kind of like, this doesn't, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> some, something seems a little sketchy here, right? But but when I go down and I see the box that says Amazon Prime on it, I don't look at it and say, you know what, the guy that delivered this, I don't, I don't, I don't dig what, I, I got a weird vibe off of him, so I'm not going to open this box, right? We don't reject the package because of the one that's making the delivery. The Bible has been given to us to learn and to study, and God wants us to come to church to, to, to worship and to serve with imperfect people. 
and there's going to be people that gonna let, are going to let you down. And um, as much as I strive not to, there's probably going to be a time when I'm going to let you down. Don't let that drive you away from Jesus. He's bigger than that. And, and, and he's telling the people, like, hey, the Pharisees are flawed. They're broken. They're messed up. But you need to obey what they're teaching you out of the Bible because that's the truth. And you need that. You need that in your life. So let's begin there. You know, have, have you walked away from God because of something a person did? If, if so, I would, I would encourage you, reevaluate God as he presents himself. Reevaluate the gospel as it's presented in the Bible and accept it or reject it based on that. Um, but don't, don't go through your life rejecting God's word for you because of what's something that a person did. In verse 5, uh, he says this. He says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have instructor, one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The first thing that, that, that we see here that's, that's broken in the, in the Pharisees' way of thinking is that they judge their righteousness and their success by the praise and opinions of other people. If they can't get from one side of the market to the other without having somebody come and say, oh, rabbi, thank you so much. Oh, teacher. Oh, father. Oh, pastor. You're, you're so good at what you do. You're so wonderful. And they start building their esteem of themselves on those things. And so, uh, so they start putting on more and more of a show. It talks about phylacteries and, and fringes, which I know you guys are all way up on that, right? You brought your phylacteries this morning. But uh, these were just... Um, uh, in, in the Hebrew culture, these were, it was obedience to Scripture. It was, um, he said, bind up these words and put them on your, your wrists and before your eyes. And so they would take these little leather boxes and they would take uh, little scrolls that had God's Word written on them and they would actually wear them as, uh, as uh, accessories, as, as jewelry almost. And they would put it across. But, but these guys would make them as big as possible. Like, hey, did anybody notice? <laughs> Just check out the gun show, right? And they got the, the phylacteries and they got it. They can't even see because they got it blocking their face. And they uh, it told them in Scripture to wear these fringes on their, their robes with a blue thread that would remind them of the truth of God's Word. And that was a good thing to do. But they would see, hey, who's got the longest thread, right? They're walking through the market. It's trailing behind them. Because what? They wanted everybody to see, look how devout I am. Look how devoted I am. Look at me. Look at, look at how close to God I am. Why do you do good deeds? Do you do it because it pleases God or do you do it to impress others? If you do something good and nobody sees it, do you like, oh, what a waste. <laughs> I wish somebody had seen that. I better go post on Facebook and tell people what I did because otherwise uh, I don't want anybody to miss this, right? Did anybody get a picture of that? That was awesome, right? <laughs> Sir, could you lay back down on the street? I just want to get a picture of me lifting you, right? <laughs> Why do you do what's good? Do you do it for the praise of people? Even people being you. Do you do good things just so you feel better about yourself? Or is your heart saying, hey, God, I want to do what's right. Sometimes doing what's right is hard. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes you really got to work yourself into it. Now, in my experience, every time I've done what I know God wanted me to do, I came out the other end of it saying, man, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad I did that. But in the moment, it doesn't always feel great. But you do what's right because that's what the Lord wants. 
They love titles, positions of authority, all the invitations to the greatest parties. Um, it's very intentional here at Riverside that we don't have reserved parking spot for, for our pastors and our elders and our staff, that we don't, um, we don't give out a lot of titles in general because we don't want people's identity to be built on having a title. When we look for leaders at Riverside, we're not looking for uh, people that say, hey, how can I get a bunch of people to serve under me? We're looking for the kind of people that say, like, I want to serve a bunch of people. And when we look around and we see people that are just involved and they're just serving and they're giving themselves in, in whatever, that we say, hey, that's the person we want to be leading. That, that, that's how we want to do it. This is not how the Pharisees were, were, were operating, right? They were, they were trying to build a reputation for themselves. Are you doing what's right for God's glory? Or do you live for the applause? The applause, the applause. Live for the applause, applause. Live for the applause. That's what I love about pop music, right? Like, pop music is just, hey, that's Lady Gaga in case you don't know, right? They're just like, hey, I live for the applause. I live for people to yell and scream my name. That's what I'm living for. At least they're honest about it, right? We do it secretly. We're like, oh, it's just for God's glory. But tell me again about what, what, was, what was it specifically that you liked about, about my gifting, right? Now, sometimes I will ask you what you liked about a sermon if you tell me a good sermon because I'm going to call your bluff, right? Hey, great sermon. Well, what did you like about it? <laughs> what was your favorite part? Just keeping you on your toes. One other side note, don't, uh, don't walk out of here and say to your dad, hey, dad, I, I can't call you father anymore because Jesus said not to call you father, so, uh, so now you're just Tom, right? <laughs> or whatever your dad's name is. He's the, he's not, we're not trying to get legalistic with it. He's saying like, hey, recognize God is your heavenly father. Any instruction you receive might come through a person, but it comes from God. Any teaching you receive might come through some earthly vessel, but it comes from God. God is the teacher. God is the authority. God is our father. He's the one to whom we're obedient. And, and he's the one who deserves all the glory. Verse 13, it says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he says hypocrites over and over again. There's this duality in their personality, right? They're one person over here, and then they're another person over here, and then they're another person on, on Facebook, and then they're another person, right? They're, they're at church, they're opening doors and smiling and shaking people's hands, and then they go home and they yell at their kids, and, they, and, they, and they're horrible to their white, right? Like, there's this duality, this hypocrisy, and what God is calling us to is to be the same person wherever we are. I'm the same person in church that I am at work, that I am at home. I mean, we wear different hats, we have different roles, we have different responsibilities, but the core of who you are shouldn't change by who you're hanging out with, right? Hey, because after a while you lose, how am I supposed to present myself to this person, right? <laughs> who does this person think that I am and how do I maintain that illusion? And what happens when I get a bunch of people? That's why most of the time, you ever notice you don't want your worlds to collide? Like you don't want your college friends to hang out with your church friends. Like at the wedding, that's always awkward. <laughs> you're like, hey, at church people, you're at this table over here. And then a sea of like grandparents and aunts and uncles. And then over here is my college buddies that I go out with, right? You, you're hoping stories don't get exchanged in those circles, right? Because, um, because a lot of us, if we're, we're honest, sometimes we take on these duality, this, this hypocrisy. But, but God wants us to be the same person, the same person everywhere that we are. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourself nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Rather than opening the way for others to know God, they put obstructions in their way. 
It's kind of this picture of the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes. They were the ones that were studying the word. They should have been right there at the entrance to the king of heaven. Instead of walking through and inviting, holding the door for others, they're blocking the way. They're like, Nobody, <laughs> nobody's getting past me to get in here, right? Man, God, uh, God hates that. He's like, I want, you to, I want you to bring people in. I don't want you to make it harder. And so here's the convicting thing for us, right? For, for many of us, we're, we're the only Christian that some of our friends, some of our family, some of our coworkers know. And, and what does your witness look like into their life? Are you pre- presenting a wide open, simple door to know Christ as your Savior? Right? If they want to talk about religion with you, do you, do you engage in all these? Well, you know, I've, I've got some awesome end time prophecy stuff I'd love to dump on you. So by the end of this half hour, you will never want to read the Bible. Like, can I share that with you, right? Or do you say, hey, listen, I'd love to talk about all that stuff, and there's some fascinating things, and that's really good to know. But you know what you really need to know and understand is, is that, that Jesus died in your place, that your sin is separated from, you God, from God, and, and Jesus has made a way for you to draw near. And if we build off that foundation, we can talk about anything you want to talk about. But if you don't start there, then none of the other stuff is going to make sense. It's just going to confuse you. It's going to push you further away. You're in charge of the conversation, right? Somebody, I mean, somebody brings it up, you can steer it. <laughs> Make sure that you start with the, the, the big things. Don't block people from the kingdom. And you notice he doesn't criticize their laziness. He doesn't say, you guys are lazy. You're just lazy. He says, man, you will go to incredible lengths to win a proselyte, to win a disciple for yourself, to win them over to your philosophy, to your way of teaching, to your denomination, to your theological bent. Right? If I meet somebody, I'm not talking about Calvinism. I'm not talking about the SBC or NAM or any other acronym that has to do with some religious organization. I'm talking to them about Jesus. In fact, I always kind of filter when people are like, what kind of church are you? I'm like, well, I can say Baptist, but <laughs> I don't know what baggage you have with that. So I'd rather tell you what, the God that we serve, right? And then we can sort it out from there. Um, don't, don't block things up. Open the door wider. And we should have the zeal that the Pharisees have, right? We should, man, they would, they would go to great lengths to help people, but they were trying to win them to be disciples of themselves, not disciples of Jesus. Verse 16 says, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. It's almost like this ancient version of Mother May I, right? Or not Mother May I, Simon Says, right? Like, they're like, hey, I, you know, I made you a promise, but I said I promised by the temple and not by the gold in the temple, so I don't have to keep my promise, right? They would make all these, these crazy rules about which oaths and vows you had to keep and which ones you could, you could cheat out on. And what it's pointing to is that they, they made their own rules which defy God's logic. God is a God of order, of reason, of logic, that if you look at the universe, if you look at nature, if you look at his word, God is a God who, who, who makes sense. Now, sometimes he asks us to do things in faith that don't make sense, 
But if you stick with it long enough, you'll see, oh, that's why you did that, God. Or even if not on this earth, when you get to heaven, it will make sense, I promise you. God doesn't do things randomly. He doesn't do things in an arbitrary way. God makes sense. But when we start making up our own rules, we do all kinds of things that don't make sense. And he just points it out. He says, hey, what makes the gold special? It's the, temp it's the fact that it's in the temple. That's what makes it special. What makes the gift special? It's that it's on the altar, the altar to God. That's where the power lies. What you're saying doesn't even make sense. And isn't it interesting that they valued the gold more than the temple? They valued the sacrifice more than the altar. The intention of their heart was set on what? Stuff, material, wealth, possessions. Jesus made it much simpler. His way is always simpler. He said, let your yes be yes, your no be no. You say you're going to do it, do it. You say you're not going to do it, don't do it. Don't swear. You don't have to make any oaths. Because <laughs> why should it be like, yeah, I'll do that. doesn't really hold any weight. But if I say, yes, I will do that, and I swear by the temple. Right? Suddenly now, okay, okay, he's serious, right? Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Christians do this, though, right? We make up arbitrary rules and, uh, and we treat them as law. Um, it happens with uh, popular movies, books, uh, whatever is the hot thing in, in culture, leggings, I don't know, whatever, right? And they're like, this is categorically wrong on all counts, and God is angry at this thing, and if you are a Christian, you will reject this thing, whatever this thing is. But rather, what we should do is, like, there are some things that we should reject, but that needs to be driven by our conscience, right? And we can have public discourse and dialogue, but to say something as a rule that God doesn't lay down as a rule in the Bible, um, you're, you're, just, you're just creating arbitrary rules and laws. So we got an election coming up in 2020. I'm sure you guys are psyched. I'm, I'm hyped up. I can't wait. It's going to be the best. Um, and people are going to go on Facebook, and they're going to say, if you are a Christian, you must do blank, or else you don't love Jesus. And it's wrong. Right? God makes the rules. Now, your Christian conviction, you should be, whether you're Republican, a Democrat, you know, whatever, you should be a Christian first, and that should be what's driving what you do when you vote. And that should drive everything beyond Election Day, too, right? Uh, but let's make that our primary identity. But, um, but people love to, to make arbitrary rules, and this is what the Pharisees like to do. They, they make things more complex. Verse 23 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Or is it cumin? 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 Anybody? It's up for debate. Nobody knows. We're just going to keep going. <laughs> Which one is it? <laughs> we'll go with cumin. Um, if you tie dill and mint and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. The fourth thing that, he, that, that, that we see is that it's a la carte obedience. Pick and choose where you want to be obedient. That's what the Pharisees did. And here's something that Jesus says. He says, hey, some things, uh, you should be obedient to everything, but some things are weightier than others. And the reason that they gravitated towards the tithe, uh, the tithe is a word that means 10%. And so uh, there's a call to give 10% of everything you have back to God. And they would say, hey, not only are we going to give our, from our paycheck, but we're going to go out into our garden. And if there's a mint plant with 10 leaves, we're going to pluck one of the, the leaves off and we're going to take that and give it to the temple, right? And, and, and a, a legalistic heart 
loves things like the tithe because they're mathematical, right? You can calculate 10% on a calculator. You can figure out what that is. You can check off the box. But the problem is you can't tithe your way into heaven, right? These guys were religious tithers down to the smallest detail. And Jesus says, you are not going to enter into the kingdom. He says, justice, mercy, faithfulness, these are weightier matters. There's a few reasons for that. Uh, number one, um, those are closer to the gospel, right? If you really want to understand justice, if you really want to understand mercy, faithfulness, that, that exploration is going to take you to the feet of Jesus because he's the greatest expression of mercy. He's the greatest expression of justice. Um, and so as you saturate yourself, if that's what has a hold of your heart, you're on a collision course with Jesus. But the other reason that we, we struggle with that is because justice and mercy is harder. It's more difficult. It doesn't always add up neatly, right? I, uh, I, I started uh, reading on the recommendation of a friend this book. It's called The Color of the Law, and it's, it's about how we arrived at um, in, in American society where there's so many uh, neighborhoods and communities that are all African-American or all white and completely segregated, even though segregation legally ended a long time ago. And a lot of that had to do with once it became illegal to do segregation legally, uh, there came in these zoning laws and they came, they found other ways of taking communities that were already integrated where people of all different colors were living together and, and they found ways to bring in zoning laws that would actually drive them apart. And it's a tragic thing and you can see it out laid out. Um, now the question is, once we know that, what do we do about that? How do we make that situation right? How do we begin to undo the injustice that has occurred? And those are hard questions, but they're questions that are worth wrestling with. As Christians, that's something that we should care about. We should care about when there's injustice. And not just as Americans, but we should care about injustice around the world. If, if people are starving in Venezuela, we should care about that. We might not be equipped to be able to do something about it today, right now. But if we care about Jesus, we should care about the things he cares about. Now, we can disagree on what the right answers are, on ways of, like, solving these problems. And we should, and we should have discourse and dialogue and try and find the best solutions. But, but they're trickier, right? Mercy and justice, that's a lifetime commitment. These are weighty matters. We need Jesus or we can't figure him out. Right? But, but that's where he wants our heart to really settle. But I also want you to see here that Jesus, uh, he doesn't say, hey, forget the tithe. Go do justice. We turn it into an either or, a la carte. Hey, God, give me 10 and I'll pick three. <laughs> he says, do them all. Do them all. And so, you know, if you're, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian and, and you don't tithe, I would, I would ask, why not? And again, is it like, man, I've, I've read all the passages, I've read all the scriptures, I've researched, I've studied, I've, 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 I've really sought God's heart? Or is it like, yeah, I kind of wanted to just like keep that money? <laughs> right? I mean, what, honestly, it's, it's between you and God. And, and I've heard horror stories going back to the beginning, right? I've heard stories of people said, hey, I went to, the, I started attending this church. Pastor said, hey, why don't, let's meet up and bring your paycheck with you. And uh, they come and they sit down and they're like, let me see it. Okay, so I calculate, here's what you uh, owe as a tithe this year to the church. We will never do that. We'll never do that. What you give is between you and God. 
But I want to encourage you to think about it and approach it biblically, right? Like God's word drive you, what, what you do in that area of obedience. And there's a bunch of others, right? <laughs> they're, 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 God wants us to be fully obedient, to become more and more progressively obedient to him. Um, but begin with the weightier matters. I love, I don't really have time to do it, but I'll do it anyways because it's such a cool example. Jesus talks about um, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel, which is kind of sounds fun anyways, but if you understand the context of it, gnats were unclean. They would make you uh, un impure, unclean in Hebrew law, and so would camels. You weren't allowed to eat camels. And so what they would do is um, uh, they would have pitchers of wine, but they would be worried if a gnat was flying around and it drowned in the pitcher of wine and then you pour it in your cup and you drink it, you may inadvertently become unclean. So what they would do is they would take like cheesecloth and put it over top of the cup and they would pour the wine through the cloth to strain out the gnats because they didn't want to be unclean. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's like you're doing all that and you drink your wine and then you turn around and you swallow a camel. He's like, that's how ridiculous it is when you, when you ignore some of my laws and you obey other ones and you pick and choose. You ignore the heart of God and just obey the legal laws of God. It's a ridiculous picture, but he wants us to show how ridiculous it is when we choose to live in that way. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Fifth one, we're more concerned with, uh, the Pharisees are more concerned with outward appearance than inner holiness. And, and it's real simple. He just basically says, hey, if the inside's clean, the outside's going to be fine. If the inside's clean, you don't have to worry about the outside. It'll be good. But if you spend all your time trying to make the outside look pretty and the inside is, is, is wretched, he says they were full of greed, self-indulgence, hypocrisy, and lawlessness. The Bible talks about whitewashed tombs. I never knew this before, but what they would do is when they were coming up into high holy days, they would go out and they would actually literally like, they would have uh, stone markers for like where graves were and they would literally whitewash them so that a traveler coming into town wouldn't inadvertently be like, oh, I need to tie my sandal and like sit down on the tomb and make themselves ritually unclean, right? So they would make it white and it was kind of pretty. They were dotting the countryside, but it was a marker of death, <laughs> It was saying, hey, this is unclean. This is where a dead body is. Don't touch this or you'll become unclean. He says, that's what, that's what you're like when you just try and make yourself look good, but inside you're rotten. Work on the inside. And this is the question. How do you handle when a truth about you comes out and it makes you look bad? What do you do? When something is exposed about your character or your behavior or nature and it just makes you look bad, how do you respond to that? And this is where the gospel frees us because the gospel doesn't say, hey, you have to be perfect to get into heaven. The gospel says even though you are imperfect and you've been broken by rebellion and sin, that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die in your place. And if you receive him as your Lord and your Savior, that you will receive forgiveness and you'll receive the reward that he deserves and he takes the punishment that you deserve. And so if something broken about you is exposed... It becomes an opportunity, and warning alarms start going off in your head. And you're like, I got to change, right? 
it becomes an opportunity to say, man, man, that's ugly. And I admit, yeah, that is, that is ugly. I need to change that. And so as much as painful as it may be and as hard as it might be, it becomes an opportunity to, to, to move yourself closer to God, to remove something broken from within you. And so it becomes, uh, even when our, when our ugliness is exposed, we don't try and hide it. We don't try and cover it up. We don't try and rationalize it. We say, yeah, you're right. You know what? I repent. Can you forgive me? I want to be a different person. Verse 29. I got I to gotta go into speed mode here, right? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers. This is the last one. Self-denial about their sin and brokenness. And it's real simple, right? If you're reading this passage, you'd be like, man, if I lived back then and I was a Pharisee, I would have been with Jesus. I wouldn't have rejected him. I wouldn't have crucified him. I would have known that he was the son of God, right? If, that, if that's what you're reading this passage and that's your takeaway, <laughs> then, then it shows maybe you have a little bit of the Pharisee's mindset because they said the same thing. They said, hey, yeah, I know our forefathers, our ancestors, they killed all of God's prophets, but, but we never would have done that. We wouldn't have been on the wrong side continually ask God to search your heart. God, show me where I'm unclean. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me where I'm not listening to you. Change my thinking. But by the grace of God, I would have done the same thing. He concludes, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? And that might sound like a rhetorical question, but I think it's Jesus genuinely saying, like, how can I keep you? You keep choosing wrong, and I want you to choose right. How can I keep you from hell? I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you're going to kill and crucify, and some of you will flog in the synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. How many times have you like ranted on somebody and just like called them out and then ended it by saying, man, I wish I could just be like a mother hen to you and just bring you under my, I love you so much. But that's how Jesus ends it, right? His most scathing critique in all of scripture, he ends by saying, I don't want this for you. I wish that I could gather you. I've asked you so many times. I've, I've called to you. I don't take any joy in calling judgment upon you. I want to gather you, but you were unwilling. And even in this moment, he's saying it to them in a way that, like, it's not too late. For us sitting in this room today, it's not too late. You have the opportunity today to answer Jesus' call, to answer his invitation, to receive forgiveness, to receive redemption, to know what it is to be adopted as a son or daughter of the king. But if you walk out the door today, you don't know what the future holds. The Pharisees thought they'd have years to figure it out. We never know. And so Jesus, what he wants you to hear today in this passage, is that he loves you. If you've, if you've wandered away from him, he's not celebrating that. He wants you to come home. He wants you to come back to him. 
He wants you to repent. He wants you to receive the free gift of salvation that he has purchased for you. Your salvation was incredibly costly. It's free to you, but it cost him his life. And he joyfully and willingly gave it for you. He wants you to know that. And he wants you to come to him. Let's pray.